communication and connection, but the content is still one-to-many. While it may seem initially labor-intensive to develop these offerings, they can be more efficiently replicated and delivered than the content you offered in the casual phase. Your offerings in the connected phase reflect your expertise in a deeper way than at casual, and they can be used in one of two ways. One, give the client enough DIY, do-it-yourself, information that she can take it from there. Or two, give the client enough information that she is inspired, curious, and made aware of the benefits of moving to the committed phase. At a certain point, the prospect declares herself and decides to share her information in return for this higher level of interaction from you. There is usually an exchange of value, typically of money, an email address, contact info, or more information about that person, such as the story that brought her to you, what pain point led her to seek you out. Awareness of you and your products and services is growing, and the prospect is deciding if she likes you. Committed. Investment, meaningful. Hired for coaching, consulting, advising, training, service, or product delivery. In the committed phase, the interaction and content shifts from one-to-many to one-to-one. After getting to know and like you, the client has decided to trust you. The commitment is deeper and more personal. This is where some of your introvert's strengths will shine. Your comfort with one-on-one -on -one conversations, listening skills, and preference for diving into a topic. You're working together through coaching, consulting, advising, mentoring, or providing direct custom services or products. The information you provide is tailored, and the relationship is formalized through an agreement or contract. You have structured yet flexible services or product packages that include terms, deliverables, and clear expectations. Convinced. Investment, significant. High-end, premium programs and offerings, long-term relationships, referrals, advocates. Working with a client in the convinced phase is the ultimate result of her knowing, liking, and trusting you. All of the information and content you've created has led to this point. She is convinced that you and your business are the right fit for her needs long-term, which is relative to your business. It could be months or years. She becomes an advocate and a source of quality referrals. She's in love. You are delivering your highest level of services and products in terms of quality, customization, and financial investment. At this point, it's less about you asking for the sale and more about the client asking if you'd be willing to take her on. As you create content, consider where it fits into your funnel of engagement. Communicate clear benefits to your prospects and have a compelling call to action appropriate to where they are in the funnel. Your story and message are the backbone of everything you create. Within every level of engagement, you have an opportunity to communicate and educate your prospects on how you can solve their problems. Each step in the process also serves as a way of calling forward your strengths and what you want to bring to other people. And these steps don't stop being part of your strategy once someone becomes your client. In order to maintain trust, it's important that your client continue to feel she knows and likes you. From every single external and internal perspective, your authenticity will determine your success. You don't want them looking at you a few months into your agreement 
and thinking the proverbial, you're not the person I married. Where can I find good content ideas? Once you've made the decision to make content delivery a critical aspect of your business and a strategy has been determined, the first question is usually, where do I get good ideas and get them consistently? As an introvert, you have sharp powers of observation and a natural curiosity that lends itself well to gathering information and making it useful for your business. Great ideas for content are all around you. You don't have to force it. It's not about being clever, funny, smart, ingenious, or off the charts different. The most compelling content, the kind that will get the attention of your ideal client, is authentic, useful, connected to his or her concerns, and thought-provoking. Once you set the intention to be curious and open to information, ideas will come from all directions. You'll have so many, you'll have to start keeping a running list to make sure you capture them all. Always, always, always carry around a small notebook. Moleskins are great to write down the ideas as they come to you. You think you'll remember them, but you won't. I've gotten ideas from candy wrappers, being stranded on the highway, my favorite television show, bumper stickers, jewelry, and poetry. It's when you're not looking that the best ideas come to you. As more and more ideas come to you, begin to organize them in a logical, systematic format. This approach works especially well for blogs and social media postings. Create an editorial calendar that includes content ideas that are time-sensitive, such as New Year's or the first day of spring, as well as evergreen content that can be plugged in anywhere, anytime, including when you need a break or are on vacation. Here are a few everyday resources that will help you become an idea factory. For a complete list, see the resources section of theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Clients. You are witness every day to stories, breakthroughs, insights, and interactions that give an intimate view of your work. Use stories directly with permission or anonymously. News stories and headlines. Use relevant current events as a hook into your specific message. Quotes. Look for inspiration among your favorite quotes, including provocative, timely, or contrary statements. Lessons learned. Share your own lessons and or those of others in your field or among your clients. Response to someone else's blog, book, or quote. Post a review, an opposing opinion, or offer an alternative yet agreeable perspective. From inspiration to implementation. Now that you have a notebook full of ideas, how are you going to bring them to life? There is a wide range of options for sharing information that fills various points of the funnel of engagement. Even more ideas will come to you as you receive feedback from others and familiarize yourself with what the thought leaders in your field are producing. Hint, set up an info at or news at email account for yourself and use that as your subscription or sign-up account for people whose promotional emails you want to receive. Keep in mind, you don't have to do all of these ideas. Pick a few that align with your energy, vision, resources, and strategy. Focus on quality over quantity. Give yourself space and grace to have a little research and development time to see what works and what doesn't. Treat your introvert energy as your most valuable currency. If you make choices that support your energetic needs, you're more likely to create a sustainable, successful plan for your business. 
and don't become too attached to the outcome. You may love doing teleclasses and be very good at it, but if your potential clients aren't responding to them or they are not meeting the definition of success you've established, teleclasses are probably not the best use of your time. Walk through open doors rather than trying to bang down closed ones. Here are a few examples of content that you could be delivering on behalf of your message. Don't simply pull out the obvious and dismiss the more unusual choices. Consider one by one how each strategy could support creatively reaching your prospects and clients. Consider also which ideas energize you and which feel like they're going to draw down your resources. For a complete list, see the resources section of theintrovertentrepreneur.com. Interviews with experts. Find experts in your field or experts in your niche and interview them for a blog, vlog, radio show, podcast, or article. Your Topic 101 Series Develop a content series of very basic information for your niche. Deliver via teleclass, articles, blog, or whatever works for you. Remember that basics are good. Not everyone knows what you know, and if they know it, they usually appreciate new perspectives on old information. Books Writing, and either self-publishing or traditionally publishing a book, is an essential element of your business if you want to be paid to speak and to be presented by others for conferences, workshops, and other professional gatherings. Ebooks, an option that is inexpensive to produce and distribute and allows you to create content in smaller chunks and develop it over time. E-courses, using audio, video, and or text to lead your clients through a specific topic over a period of time, days, or weeks. It could be real-time or on-demand. Special reports, white papers, case studies. Short documents that present a problem and offer solutions to help people make decisions. They often make the case, directly or indirectly, that your services are the solution. Home study courses. Self-directed content for your clients that allows them to use online resources to work at their own pace. Retreats. Facilitated experiences that are generally held over a few days at an off-site location, focused on delivering information in a highly personalized, experiential manner. Speaking. Every day brings opportunities for public speaking. Seek out chances to speak at a local service club, such as Rotary, Kiwanis, etc., local professional associations, host your own event or meetup, or join Toastmasters. Develop three to four strong topics create a speaker sheet, and put yourself out there. More on this in Chapter 6. Internet Radio Using Blog Talk Radio or another online format, produce a show that airs at a specific time and is available for download. You have complete control over your show. These can be revenue-generating if you seek sponsorships, have advertisers, or charge guests to be part of the show. Consider this as you develop content. As an introvert, there's a high probability that you do your best brainstorming in solitude. However, we can be left staring at a blank page, our wheels spinning because we have nothing to react to. Many of my clients have found that they are more creative if they have some structure. It frees them up from thinking about all of the components and logistics of an idea. Instead, they can follow their instincts and imagination. As part of the online resources, 
you'll find a worksheet I created that will be a useful tool for guiding you through the key areas of content creation. If you are less linear, consider mind mapping or drawing your ideas. Defining success on your own terms. Physician Susan Bialy, author of Live a Life You Love, was intensely connected to her role as a doctor. She had achieved outward success by being the top of her class and being selected for a prestigious residency. However, her internal definition of success wasn't aligned with her external accomplishments. She realized she wasn't excited about her daily life. It was something to be gotten through. That led her to clarify what success meant to her. She said, Today, success is having significant aspects of my life that will make me really excited about my life as it is right now, and then always moving towards some wonderful experiences that I hope to create for myself in the future. An underlying message throughout this book is that you can create success on your own terms in a way that honors and respects your introvert personality. When it comes to anything in entrepreneurship, planning, marketing, networking, systems, collaborations, product development, one-size-fits-all advice can lead you down a rocky road. This is especially true when it comes to your marketing activities. If there's anything I've seen introverts express frustration about, it's the slick, almost over-the-top approach that they see so many others doing. And they wonder, should I be doing that too, even if it feels gross? After all, it must work or others wouldn't be doing it. Perhaps those techniques work for them, but that doesn't mean they'll work for you. If you don't feel authentic in the messages you're putting out, your prospect will pick up on that. Success is one of those words that is thrown around by entrepreneurs without much thought as to what it actually means. Of course, we all want success. We can probably all agree that if you look at success as the opposite of failure, there's an element of universal understanding around the word. But that's about as far as it goes. Defining success is as complex and individual as you are. In fact, you may be carrying around a definition of success that you inherited from your parents, teachers, friends, mentors, bosses, or colleagues. That borrowed definition might center around money, title, power, memberships, awards, publications, or even how many people wave at you when you walk down the street. These are all societal markers of success, and there's nothing inherently wrong with any of them. It's okay to say we want to make a certain amount of money or belong within a particular circle of people. However, introverts may be equally driven by internal or less tangible rewards. We appreciate external and tangible validation, but we know that it simply represents an outward manifestation of the success we feel on the inside. As Dan Pink writes in Drive, The Surprising Truth About What Motivates Us, people aren't as motivated by the reward and punishment approach as previously thought. Rather, they find reward in having three things in place, autonomy, mastery, and purpose. Autonomy the freedom to march to the beat of your own drummer. You are independent, not beholden to someone else's vision. Mastery, becoming the best in the world at what you do. Purpose, making a difference to other people, their processes, or the planet. Consider each of those in turn. Chances are you chose an entrepreneurial path because you were seeking at least one, if not all, of these three traits.
As an introvert, you most likely place a high value on being able to work at your own pace, drawing on your inner world for creativity and insight. Introverts also like to immerse themselves in topics or tasks rather than spreading themselves too thin. And while most everyone craves a sense of purpose in their work, it's even more important that the introvert recognize the role purpose plays in his business. After all, you are expending energy to make it work. And if you're continually asking yourself, what's the point? You'll wear yourself out because the motivation is based more in material rather than meaningful rewards. You won't be successful in your marketing efforts until you find out what motivates you. For me, success is defined as freedom. It's freedom from worry, stress, boredom, compromise, and freedom to do, say, act, give, create, receive. I've learned that I am highly motivated by autonomy, followed closely by mastery of my craft, and living with a sense of purpose and mission. How do you define success? Is it a feeling, a freedom, a tangible result, a certain confidence or knowing? Once you know your overall definition of success, you can set intentional goals not only for your marketing efforts, but everything else in your life. What's it worth to you? Maya Angelou says, You can only become truly accomplished at something you love. Don't make money your goal. Instead, pursue the things you love doing and then do them so well that people can't take their eyes off you. We choose an entrepreneurial path so that we can follow our passion. We want to share our natural gifts, learn new skills, and stretch ourselves for the benefit of our clients. It's so much fun and sometimes so easy, we could do it even if we never made a dime. Yay for us if we're doing work we love. But here's the thing. You own a business, not a hobby. Your business is what you pursue professionally. One of your objectives is to reap a financial return for the work you do. Remember, one of the defining characteristics of entrepreneurship is to make a profit. You can love that work to the point where you can't believe that you get paid to do it. That's the great benefit of entrepreneurship. You get paid to do what you love to do. If you didn't, it would be an avocation, something outside your profession done purely for the love of it. Because of the L word, love, the lines between vocation and avocation can become very blurry. This is especially true if you have any level of fear or doubt about the value of your products or services, or talking about the value of your services with others. If not addressed, that fear can quickly turn a business into a hobby. There are several criteria one should use for deciding if what you're doing is a business or hobby. But for our purposes, I'm going to stick with the financial aspect of things. Most specifically, are you charging and charging adequately for the content and services you're offering? When you're first starting out, it's natural to value experience over money. You want to get a few clients on your roster, some positive testimonials, and make your mistakes, that is, learn from your experiences, before the stakes are too high. In my case, I was offering a certain amount of pro bono coaching to accumulate both experience and hours for my certification. It's also valuable to offer a few sample products or services for free. I gave teleclasses, webinars, and workshops for free during the first two years of my business. 
they offered tremendous opportunity to start developing content and be in an R&D, research and development, phase. I received feedback that helped me to refine my offerings, along with testimonials and confidence. It's one thing to be on the safe before side of the experience and say, I'm going to offer a workshop. It's another thing to stand on the other side of having offered it and be able to say with confidence, I did it. In the beginning, free offerings are expected and can serve as a valuable learning lab for you and your business. Confidence matters more than cash, and kudos keep your spirits up. There comes a turning point, however, when you acknowledge that you're ready for more than kudos and the warm, fuzzy feelings they inspire. Sure, you can take one more class, give one more trial-run workshop, write two more articles, accumulate 10 more hours, and for successful entrepreneurs, the learning never ends. But it can become an excuse that keeps you from taking action. Making the transition from hobby mode to business mode is essential. You must learn to value what you have to offer enough that you don't give it away. I learned a fabulous reframe of the role of money in business from introvert entrepreneur Shambe Brown. During a workshop I attended, he shared his personal philosophy, which will stay with me forever. Having created something that's worth your investment of time, it becomes a win-win when I give you the opportunity to express your appreciation for what I have offered through financial means. In other words, if I give away my products and information, I'm denying you the opportunity to share your gratitude for what you've received. Charging for your offerings and services is an acknowledgement that it's worth the person's investment of time and money and that you worked hard to create that worth. As the saying goes, we teach others how we want to be treated. This might not be the most obvious perspective for the introvert. It requires that we develop an awareness of what we are projecting to others, which means taking an external look at ourselves rather than the internal one that we're used to. We have to notice what signals we're putting out about how other people should respond to us. Consider the following when faced with a question of placing a value on your products or services. Ask for what you want. If you soft-pedal your invitation and your desire to attract people to your business, you give them an out, which they'll take. If you want people to show up or buy from you, it's important to give them a clear and confident invitation, as well as a solid reason, the benefit or added value to them, to show up. Trust the value of your individual voice. Your offer is valuable because no one else can say it exactly like you. You put tremendous pressure on yourself if you make the assumption that an offering has to be groundbreaking to be valuable. In reality, it's not a radical, never-heard-before thought that will differentiate you from the pack. It's your confidence in your message and your ability to share it with the right people at the right time. You always have choices. When you feel like you have no choice, you're allowing fear-based thinking to have the power. This is an opportunity to begin a new practice of honoring your value by determining your prices not based on what others are doing, but based on your intention and your belief in the value of the offering. You can handle whatever happens. The answer to any fearful if statement you can conjure up is, I can handle it. If you are too attached to a particular outcome, you'll consider anything less than as a failure. A healthier approach is to be curious. I wonder what's going to happen. 
You choose to trust that whatever happens, you can handle it, and you'll learn and grow from it. Ask for what you want. Yes, you heard that right, again. We can never hear this one too many times. When we come from a place of confidence and ask for what we want, we help people feel invited and needed. They appreciate the mutual exchange of value. We all come away from the transaction feeling like we received what we needed. Finding the middle ground. There's one more angle from which you can choose to view the sales process. Cultivating your ambivert energy. Ambiverts are people who fall in the middle of the introvert-extrovert spectrum. They feel an equal comfort with and desire for socializing and solitude. Recent research, conducted by Adam Grant of the Wharton School of the University of Pennsylvania, supports a balanced approach, one that demonstrates the value of drawing on both your introvert and extrovert energies. Grant administered a personality survey to more than 300 people and then tracked their sales records for three months. He began with the hypothesis that extroverts, rather than outperforming their more introverted counterparts, would report less than stellar results. He was proven right. People who fell on the extremes of the introvert-extrovert spectrum were outperformed by those who fell more in the middle. Ambiverts earned 24% more in sales than did introverts, and 32% more than extroverts. According to Grant, because they naturally engage in a flexible pattern of talking and listening, ambiverts are likely to express sufficient assertiveness and enthusiasm to persuade and close a sale, but are more inclined to listen to customers' interests and less vulnerable to appearing too excited or overconfident. How is this information useful? First, it shows that introverts already have a head start when it comes to sales. Your typical buyer is more likely to be turned off by someone who talks too much rather than by someone who listens too much. Second, most of us are at least flirting with ambivert tendencies rather than being on the extremes. That means you probably just have to sharpen a latent extroverted skill that you already have rather than starting from zero. And finally, it helps us to release the expectation that one must be incredibly outgoing and have the gift of gab to be an effective salesperson. It's an invitation to listen twice as much as we talk, which comes naturally to most introverts. After all, as the Greek philosopher Epictetus reminded us, we have two ears and one mouth so that we can listen twice as much as we speak. Introvert Entrepreneur Focus John E. Dorr, co-president of Rain Group and best-selling author of Insight Selling, Surprising Research on What Sales Winners Do Differently. Question. You've studied what separates the people who make the sale from those who don't. What has your research shown? Answer. The biggest thing we saw sales winners do differently than second-place finishers was provide new insights and ideas. It used to be that I relied on the seller to tell me about their product and services because I couldn't find all of that information on my own. But buyers are more sophisticated today. They have access to so much more information now because of the Internet. The seller has become part of the value equation. They're part of the value that somebody is buying, and that's part of what differentiates them. The second biggest thing that we saw is that sales winners collaborated in the sales process. So they're not doing it to the buyer. 
They're doing something with the buyer to come up with a solution that will make the buyer's world better, however they think of it, whether it's business, personal, or a combination of both. Question. Introverts are definitely drawn to entrepreneurship, but they're not always enamored of that sales process. They want to focus on providing their service and product rather than on selling it. What have you learned about successful sales that can be useful to the sales-adverse introvert? Answer. They have to get away from the perception of the perfect seller as the person who is out there shaking hands and the idea of the always happy, jovial, can-make-friends-with-anybody kind of seller. Introverts also tend to be insightful by nature. They tend to be very introspective. They listen well, they can analyze what they hear, and come out with the solution. Selling isn't just about being pushy and forcing people to buy. If introverts play to that strength of connecting the dots for somebody and providing the solution based on their knowledge and their insights, they can really help them. Question. How can an introvert leverage those strengths to feel more confident at sales and develop an approach that feels congruent? Answer. As an entrepreneur, maybe you invented something, maybe you started something new. Your ability to put things down on paper and teach and present is one way of attracting buyers to you. Rather than having to push all the time, you can do a pull strategy. Start writing, start talking, start presenting. As we know, some of the best actors and public speakers are actually introverts. They use the stage as a way to get across what is important to them. They have an inner ambition that says, I will make the leap for this moment to go out and meet new people and talk because I believe in my product, I believe in my company, I believe in what I have to offer. At the same time, be careful not to use your label as an introvert as an excuse not to do other important sales activities, such as networking, because we both know that it's possible to go beyond the traditional mold of how an introvert reaches out to the world. Chapter 6. It Takes a Village Whether you call them your tribe, platform, network, community, or peeps, you need people to create a strong and sustainable business. Yes, even introvert entrepreneurs need people around them in order to succeed. As the leader of a particular community of clients, customers, and colleagues, we can't operate in a vacuum and we can't isolate more than we engage. There's certainly room for us to close the door, turn off the phone, and give ourselves a break from the hustle and bustle. But more than ever before, entrepreneurs are expected to be highly engaged with their clients and customers. The rise of social media dictates that we be consistent, transparent, and available. But for introverts, there is a flip side to this. The more people we have involved in our lives, the more potential there is for our energy to be sucked into the black hole of no return. Notice that I said potential. It's not a certainty. Just as we can feel a spark from interacting with our spouses, partners, or best friends, we can be energized by having the right people around us. That's where your peeps come in. The trick is finding out who they are, the best way to reach them, and how to engage with them once you've found them. Your tribe isn't necessarily the same as your business colleagues and partners, although there may be some overlap. Rather, these are people you are leading. Marketing authority Seth Godin defines a tribe as a group that is connected to one another, 
a leader, in this case you, and an idea, your message, mission, or vision. They are people who have chosen to embrace and evangelize about you and your business. They believe in you and find value in what you're offering. They will interact with you in a thousand different ways, some of which will support your bottom line and others that will support your spirit. On a baseline level, having a clearly defined tribe tells others who have yet to hear about you that you have a message worth hearing. You aren't just up on your soapbox talking to anyone who will listen. You are targeting your message, and it's landing on the ears of the people who need to hear it the most. Your tribe plays an important, almost starring role in your business. They give you feedback. They tell others about you. They allow you to be in many places at once. They show others, potential publishers, booking agents, distribution managers, product developers, investors, that you've got something that people want. For the introvert entrepreneur, it's not just about numbers. If all we're after is more likes, friends, connections, or people in our circles, we're not making any meaningful connection to the people we've attracted. We're better off focusing on cultivating quality relationships rather than thinking it's a numbers game. I've found time and time again that if I connect with the one right person, that opens the doors to far more than I would have found if I'd focused on how many people were on my email subscriber list. Sustainable business development and tribe formation works when we understand that quantity follows quality. The benefits of having an intentional tribe of committed, engaged fans are numerous. Being an influencer and positioning yourself as an expert. If you want to be the go-to person on your topic, it's imperative that people know who you are and what you have to offer. That seems basic, but it's surprising how easy it is to sit back and assume people will know what you're doing if you just post a tweet once a week. Once you've found your tribe, you can focus your message and talk only to them. You want your focus to be narrow, a spotlight rather than a floodlight, so that when they hear a certain word, phrase, or problem, you are top of mind. In my case, when someone hears the word introvert, I want them to think of me. The more that happens, the more I know my message is reaching the right ears. Efficient one-to-many communication. While engaging with people one-on-one -on -one is a strength for most introverts, it can also be a labor-intensive way to share your message. In the beginning, you will probably have more coffee dates than speaking engagements. But as your business grows and your message is refined, you'll want to find ways to reach more people as efficiently as possible. Your tribe becomes your built-in audience, ready and eager for your information. Receiving feedback and being responsive. This is especially true of the virtual tribe that you'll build through social media channels. They become an informal focus group for all of the messages that you put out there. They're a fairly safe group with whom you can play a bit of mad scientist, testing out different approaches to see what comes to life. Based on their response, or lack thereof, you're getting invaluable feedback about your products, services, brand, and presence in the marketplace. In return, you have the opportunity to engage in conversation and further establish yourself as the go-to person in your field. You can be responsive to what's being shared without a huge expenditure of energy or time. For instance, if someone asks you a question on your Facebook timeline, chances are high that others have the same question. 
You can answer that post personally and in the moment, meeting the needs of not just the poster, but anyone else who's listening in to the conversation. Space to build, know, like, and trust. As we explored in Chapter 5, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. Simply by the process of intentionally creating a tribe, you are inviting people into your inner realm. This is not always easy for introvert entrepreneurs. What we have to understand is that our work is making our internal world external. It's an outward expression of our inner being, a safe and even tender place we dwell that doesn't get exposed that often. That makes it vulnerable. I found that few things inspire more response and more connection than allowing myself to be vulnerable with people. It's not about being overly sensitive or emotional. It's about being real with people. You simply tell the truth. You place a high value on transparency and communication. You show that you're human. It takes practice and involves a bit of risk, but the payoff is worth it. There are multiple ways to build a tribe, and we're going to focus on the tools and techniques that make the most of the natural strengths and energy needs of the introvert entrepreneur. Social media networks and virtual offerings, blogging and writing, public speaking and presentations. Social media networks and virtual offerings. It used to be, as recently as seven years ago, that if your business didn't have a website, it didn't exist. Now, if you don't have a presence on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, LinkedIn, etc., you don't exist. The number of virtual tribe-building platforms seems to increase by the day, and it's easy to get sucked into all of them without an intention or strategy in place. It's totally without irony that I refer to social media sites as bright, shiny objects. They glisten with promise. They flash, join us, at every turn, and they promise connection and community. Who wouldn't be seduced by that? But in truth, even though you're not face-to-face, -face, they are another form of interaction that requires your energy. It's what makes social media, and by extension the web, the greatest thing to happen to introverts since Carl Jung. We get to pace ourselves and engage in a more deliberate way. As Jennifer Conweiler, author of The Genius of Opposites, shared with me, in my experience, introverts really use social media with conscious intent. They're thoughtful. She goes on to say that in her interviews with introverted leaders, she found that they tended to choose a platform that resonated most with them, then really learned to use it. The flip side of this desire to focus is that as the number of social media outlets increase, there are more and more bright, shiny objects competing for your time and attention. And that can lead to all of those good intentions going right out the window. In a moment, I'll share some thoughts on the most dominant social media platforms today. By the time you are listening to this audiobook, the landscape will have shifted in ways large and small. Because of that, we won't go far down the which tool should I use and how should I use it road. Technology changes too quickly, and there are other important points to cover about social media and our use of technology in general, that are platform independent. Let's start there. Why you don't have to, and shouldn't, chase down every bright, shiny object. Max Frisch said, Technology, the knack of so arranging the world that we don't have to experience it. A few years ago, I attended an event called BizTech Day Seattle. The room was full of geeky people like me, 
who love new technology and gadgets and programs that are supposed to make our lives more efficient, fun, or connected. In between speakers, there were demonstrations of technologies we didn't know existed, but now that we knew of their existence, we had to have. I left that day overwhelmed by all of the bright, shiny objects I'd learned about and wondered, okay, salivated, about how I was going to implement what I'd learned. Fortunately, I didn't do any of it. As I've done before, I'm going to reference Jim Collins' classic Good to Great through the lens of the introvert entrepreneur. You might think that a chapter about technology in a book published in 2001 wouldn't have much insight or relevance in our Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, iPhone world. And you would be wrong. If anything, it's even more relevant. During the course of their research, Collins and his team found that the use of technology was a key factor that differentiated the great companies from the good. What was the difference? Collins found that the great companies used technology as an accelerator, not a creator, of momentum. They used it to take a concept or product that already existed and make it better. They didn't adopt new technology gratuitously or to create something new. They used it to leverage their core mission. They only employed technology purposefully and strategically, not falling under the spell of bright, shiny objects. The good to great companies took a crawl, walk, run approach to technology. Their choices were based on sustainability and the degree to which each type of technology aligned with their core competencies and products. The comparison companies went in reverse, running before they could walk or even crawl. They reacted to what others were doing for fear of being left behind. See how this works? So often, I hear, if I just had the right program, software, smartphone, or computer, things would be so much better. Or, that's so cool, looking at a new social media platform that does everything but go to the doctor for you. I'm going to make my profile and the clients will come knocking. Or, you have to be on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or else you'll have no credibility. There's something many people are realizing now that the shine has dulled slightly on these miracle tools. And for introverts, they are definitely miraculous. We're learning what this type of technology for introvert entrepreneurs is and is not. It is not our knight in shining armor. We can't depend on technology to save the day or to protect us from doing stuff we often avoid, such as picking up the phone. It might bring us some efficiencies, it might pave the way to more comfortable interactions, but it's not a magic bullet. It is not a substitute for human contact. Sure, we can form relationships online, but the magic happens when we meet eye to eye. Technology should not define our relationships. Rather, it should enhance what exists in the real world. We can use it strategically as a bridge between someone being a faceless, personality-less name on a piece of paper to being a human being standing in front of us. It is a seductive mistress. We can wrap ourselves around a new toy and find a way to fit it into our business because, hey, it's super cool and we want to be cutting edge. If it's not in service to our primary mission, if it's not obvious how it's going to make our work more efficient or effective, if it's just going to be a cool distraction that keeps us feeling busy, then the tail's wagging the dog. Technology should enhance and advance our goals, not determine them. It is a drain on your resources. 
When we hear we have to do something or else be regarded as a social media pariah, we end up posting profiles and creating new accounts on platforms that we don't possibly have time to sustain. We plant a million seeds and expect them to grow without any water. What's more important than jumping on the latest gadget craze is to pick a few strategic tools that make the most of your time, energy, and money. Be sure they are in alignment with your company's values and business priorities, and then show up 100%. We all love bright, shiny objects. They're part of what makes life happy and fun. We have unprecedented and largely equal access to a million different tools. Choose yours based on what brings you closer to your definition of excellence, what's sustainable, and what works in service to you, your energy, and your goals. The 35,000-foot view of the social media landscape. Seth Godin says, the web isn't magic, it's merely efficient. The specific tools that people are using online to connect, promote, and conduct business are a moving target. There are some that seem to be here for the duration. Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn are the triumphant trio of social media. They have adapted themselves to changing trends and are, in fact, shaping the trends themselves. Each platform's community has a different culture and reason for being. For instance, Facebook and Twitter are hybrid personal, professional sites. You can use them for either purpose, and both tolerate a mixture of sharing what you ate for breakfast and how people can sign up for your next workshop. LinkedIn is much more professionally oriented. Profiles and discussions are focused on business topics, only occasionally touching on the personal. Unlike more casual platforms, if you decided to share in your LinkedIn status update that you mowed your lawn this weekend, you would be revealing a lack of understanding of the platform's central purpose. Here are some questions to take into account as you strategize which social media platforms are going to give you the highest return on investment of time, money, and energy. Where does your tribe hang out? There are multiple factors to take into account. Age, profession, ethnicity, geographic location, politics, religion, marital status, hobbies. Some social networking sites cater to specific interests and demographics, while others, such as Facebook, cast a wide net and allow people to put themselves into niche groups. Check to see how easy it is to interact with people on the site, as well as how targeted you can be with your interactions. For instance, Facebook pages and groups are highly specific, and using Twitter hashtags can help focus your message to certain people looking for information on a particular topic, even if the Twitter stream is busy. How available do you want to be? To be most effective, Rapid-fire platforms like Twitter require faster response times and more consistent engagement than the relatively slower-paced Facebook. LinkedIn allows for even more breathing room. How credible is the platform? Not all social networking sites are created equal. Does it have a history of stability, flexibility, and responsiveness to its users? Do other entrepreneurs have a presence there, especially your peers and competitors? What is the quality of the postings and conversation? How easy is the platform to use, both from your and the user's perspective? You have challenges setting up a profile or figuring out what you're supposed to do once you've signed up? Chances are your prospects and peeps will be challenged, too. The platform should be intuitive, friendly, and as free from spam as possible. While spam is impossible to avoid altogether, there should be evidence that the site managers don't tolerate it. 
Ideally, the site should be free for at least a basic profile and services. How popular is the platform, and does it facilitate easy sharing of content? A beautiful, intuitive social media site is useless unless it's well integrated with the rest of the web through plugins, add-ons, toolbar shortcuts, and sharing buttons on major sites. This is the way content goes viral, and it makes it easy for others to spread the word about your business. For the introvert, this is a huge advantage because it facilitates a wider reach with less effort than was required before the dot-com explosion. Is the focus of the platform on business, personal, or both? Depending on the image and the purpose of your business, you will either draw a bright line between personal and professional, or the line will be blurred. For instance, as a coach, I blur the line. I am my business, at least until I hire my first employee, and whether or not people like me is a big part of how they'll decide if I'm a good fit for them. So while my strategy includes promoting my business, I also allow my personality to come through. Life in the fishbowl. Living in a fishbowl, with your every move on display for the world, is no longer reserved for movie stars and faux reality TV celebrities. Social media has taken information that used to be private or shared among a close circle of friends and provided space for it to be broadcast to the world. You have to decide how much of yourself to share as part of your social media strategy. Introverts tend to be more private and reserved, given our more internal orientation. There's definite risk with being vulnerable online because we're making the internal external and it lives there forever. I've also heard a lot of introverts say, I'm an introvert in real life, but an extrovert online. I can be social as long as I'm at home in my jammies with my laptop, cat, and a cup of tea. They don't feel vulnerable as much as they feel liberated. After all, just because social interaction can wear us out doesn't mean we don't have a strong need for connection and community. Nor should this cause us to feel like we have a split personality. The truth is, we are a mix of introvert and extrovert. We have both energies within us. Much of how we show up energetically has to do with how safe we feel in our environment. If we've chosen our online networks wisely and use discretion about the people we allow to have access, we will feel a fairly high degree of safety. We can share more of ourselves and allow the divide between personal and professional to be a bit more porous. Social media can be less draining because the socializing we do is less immediate, more controlled. My rule of thumb, if my personal beliefs, preferences, or activities influence why or how I deliver my services, they're worth sharing. It's probably wise to refrain from sharing opinions on controversial topics, but if it's integral to who you are, such as sharing your faith or political beliefs, and you're okay with it becoming information people can use to self-select, either in or out, that is your choice. Do you bring your religion, politics, work history, parental or marital status, sexual orientation, education, or personal hobbies into your work? Do you draw on those experiences in working with customers or clients? Is sharing those experiences in service to your tribe and their needs, or is it merely satisfying your ego? It's always a good idea to be clear with yourself about your motivations for sharing. Just because you can share doesn't mean you should. But if it connects you to your audience and helps them self-select, it might be worth the risk. Bridging from online to IRL relationships. At some point, 
You're going to do a live event or bring people together in person for a great new offering or product, and you'll discover that everyone you've been hanging out with is virtual. You know their avatars, but you don't know them. The relative comfort and ease with making connections online can turn into stress when you realize that those connections are fleeting, dependent on the whims of a platform developer or the latest trends in social media. For example, consider when Facebook started out. It wasn't too crowded, your wall was simple, ads were few, and people were more discriminating about who they accepted as friends. It was more about friendly connection and sharing photos and updates. Now the user interface has evolved many times over, making it much more challenging to be seen and heard amid the chatter. Posts may or may not be seen depending on the user settings. People who decided to treat Facebook as their website found they were at the mercy of the company's policies, updates, and formatting changes. It's almost impossible to build a consistent, reliable brand presence when your platform is a moving target. That's why it's important to be cultivating your flesh and blood tribe alongside your virtual tribe. You do not want to rely on a social media platform for the bulk of your engagement or as your primary web presence. It's easy to allow that to happen. As we've outlined, communicating online has its definite advantages for the introvert. It's also easier to jump on board a moving train in which most of the structure and community is ready-made for you. You might be tempted to hitch your wagon to their star. Don't. Not only will you be giving them too much control over your brand, you will end up investing a disproportionate amount of time and energy in maintaining your online connections to the possible detriment of your offline tribe. That said, we can still leverage technology as a link between our virtual tribe and real-life connections. Go back to the content ideas we explored in Chapter 5. Which ones would translate well into a podcast, video, webinar, or teleclass? Building your platform through these methods enables you to control the communication environment, scripting out or targeting your content while building in as little or as much interaction as you want. This is a good first step toward making a personal connection with the people you hang out with online. It puts you in the driver's seat while offering increased value to your connections. Choose the medium that you feel most comfortable with. For instance, I enjoy podcasting because I get to interview interesting people, one at a time, talk about topics that I feel passionately about, prepare for the conversation in advance, then record, edit, and post it according to my standards and timetable. There's a focused burst of energy required to make the podcast happen, but once I publish and share it, it can more or less walk on its own. I don't need to hold its hand unless I choose to keep promoting it alongside other pieces of content. The value of the podcast and other similar media is that they enable you to step closer to your prospects through your voice and image, not just your words. The potential for them to know, like, and trust you is dramatically increased if they literally see and hear you in action. Conversely, they can more quickly discern if your message isn't a good fit for them, thereby self-selecting out of your prospect pool. Once you've increased your interaction with people, you can start to discern those with whom you'd like to cultivate a more personal relationship. Take a look at your contacts through Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, Google+, even Pinterest to see who appears to have business goals similar or complementary to your own. The typical profiles will reveal how long they've been in business, 
their previous professional history, and their connections. Depending on how thoroughly they've completed a profile, you can gain information about their reading habits, hobbies, and social activities. Remember to cross-reference the profiles to get the complete picture. If someone seems to be in sync with you, your business, and values, reach out to her through the most appropriate social media platform. Suggest a coffee date if you live in the same area. If not, have virtual coffee over Skype or other video conferencing services. You don't need to go into the conversation with a strict agenda. Let the other person know when you send your introductory message that you're interested in learning more about her business in the event you can share her as a resource or otherwise support her goals. You can also say that you think your business would be a good resource for her and you'd appreciate the opportunity to chat. There's no sales pitch involved. It's simply a get-to-know-you conversation that allows both people to determine if further conversation would be beneficial. Online profiles and communities have been a gift to introvert entrepreneurs everywhere because they allow us to connect on our own terms. Before we go to an event, we can often see who else is going and do a little research. This can dramatically increase our comfort level with walking into a room full of strangers. There are several ways you can find out who else will be attending. If you RSVP online, sometimes the event website includes an updated list of attendees. Events posted on LinkedIn and Facebook will also give you an idea of who will be there, even without registering. You can also share that you're attending a particular event on social media and ask who else is going. I've tried this a few times and appreciate that it serves double duty. Not only do I find out if any of my colleagues have registered, but I've shared a resource with them that they may not have known about. Once you have a few good names, look up their profiles on social media. Go into the event with a list of people you'd like to meet. This gives you a focus and a mission. It also gives you an opening line after you introduce yourself. I was intrigued by your LinkedIn profile and your work with so-and-so. Would you have a few minutes to tell me more about it? Blogging and Writing, The Introvert's Playground There's a poster that has been widely shared on social media that says, I write better than I talk. Introverts tend to relate to this sentiment. That's not surprising. Because we process our thoughts internally and quietly, it's natural that we'd prefer the slower pace of the written word over talking through things aloud. This doesn't necessarily mean we're naturally good writers. Like any other skill, it comes easily to some and is elusive to others. The point isn't to judge yourself too harshly, but to recognize that your preference for communicating through writing can be a strong entrepreneurial asset in our content-driven world. Blogging is one of the easiest, most accessible ways to start establishing yourself as a thought leader in your field. A blog is like an online diary or journal, and it consists of regularly posted entries that are written by you. Thank you for listening to this episode of our podcast. We'll be really thankful if you support us by clicking the link in the description so that we continue to create amazing content for you.